And as you're getting settled, you can find your place in the Bible. We're going to be back in the book of Nehemiah again. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there. The book of Nehemiah one final time. So we're finishing up uh, this series today, at least officially. Next week, next week we'll be back in it a little bit. But um, we're, we're actually closing out this study. We're coming to the end of the book and the end of this chapter and therefore the end of this series. So today we'll be back in chapter 13. Uh, looking at verses 23 through 31. So we started this series almost a year ago. So our first message out of this series was on September 5th of 2021 and, and 33 messages later. We're, we're wrapping it up this morning. Now before we get in uh, to our study today, let me, let me take a couple minutes and just let you know where we're going from here, at least in the, in the near-term future. So, so next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We'll do a little bit of a wrap-up of Nehemiah, but we'll be really focused on the Lord's Supper. So we're going to do that here in the morning together, so come prepared for that. You heard on the 28th, we're going to have a Summer's End celebration. So in spite of all the travel issues we faced this summer, we were still able to participate in a couple of missions trips. And so we'll hear about those trips. We'll hear about our youth camp. We'll hear about Good News Bible Camp. Um, then, of course, we'll have the fellowship food together afterwards. We'll have our annual cornhole tournament. Um, I, I, we never even, so last year the rain came, and I don't think we ever, like we didn't declare a champion, did we, Brenton? No, so there we came down to the end. So, so listen, this is a big year because it's a vacant championship. The belt is vacant. Um, so we'll have our corn, cornhole tournament. Slip and slide, inflatables for the kids. So that's always a great day on our calendar. Then starting in September, I'm going to do a very short three-week series on our mission and vision, just to kind of reset everything to where we're at and where we're going. That'll kind of bring us up to September 25th, and on September 25th, we'll have a special day because the Horvaths will be with us on September 25th, and Kay will be preaching that morning. So if you aren't aware, I think probably most of you are, but if you aren't aware, Brooke is pregnant. Uh, and, and so they'll be here in the States starting mid-September through the, uh, after um, the first of the year. And so she's going to have the baby here and they'll be with us for a few months. Okay, I'll be preaching that Sunday, September 25th. We'll move into October. We'll have our Certainty Conference there at the beginning of October. And then after Certainty Conference, I'm going to begin a series related to the family uh, titled Family Portraits. So you'll, I'll save the details um, you'll hear a little bit more about that as we get a little closer. But that's kind of where we're going in the, in the near term uh, future. But we do have a final bit of business to do in the book of Nehemiah. And in this final bit of business, we're going to talk about decisions. Decisions, decisions, decisions. That's the title of our message this morning. Because as we've been looking over these past few week, weeks, we've seen the regression in the children of Israel in this, la in this last chapter. And it all comes down very simply to the decisions they made. And, and guess what? I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that's life. The trajectory of our life, the trajectory of your life, the trajectory of my life come down to the decisions that we make in our life. And every day we're faced with them. Decisions, decisions, decisions. And those decisions can lead to great benefits or they can lead to devastating consequences. That's what decisions, they, they, they put us on a path one way or another, and it could be a good one or it can be a bad one. And in Bible terms, this is called the law of sowing and reaping, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Say, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, 
that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So the decisions and the choices that we make every day have ramifications beyond the moment in which you're making them. Now, obviously, some decisions are, are much larger than others. But they have ramifications beyond the moment. That's what I want to look at in this, these final verses of Nehemiah this morning. It's what the nation of Israel was dealing with. And just by way of reminder, just to kind of get us all up to speed, chapter 13 is the letdown chapter of this book, right? We, we've talked about that. After 12 chapters of, of basic progression moving forward, we see them in, in, in a state of regression in chapter 13. They had completed the full rebuild of the wall and gates in just 52 days. They repented. They had recentered their lives around the word of God. They had made a promise to live according to all that it said. They took the time out to dedicate the walls and thank the Lord for all that he had done in and through them, and everything was going great. And so we see Nehemiah has this 12-year run as governor, and things are good. And so he goes back to his post in Babylon, and then everything breaks loose. And so not much at time at all after he goes back to Babylon. Everything goes crazy because just a few bad decisions here and there, or in some cases, even one bad decision, can put a quick end to years of good decisions and good work. And that was certainly true of this group that Nehemiah was dealing with. And, and really, this book ends in a very sobering way. You know, I, I told you when we started chapter 13, you know, if, if you're into happy endings, this isn't really the book for you. You know, most people would have ended it at the end of chapter 12, but, but chapter 13 is real life, and God deals with real life, and so does the Bible. So this book ends in a sobering way and one that we should all take careful note of because as I've told you over the past few weeks, success today does not guarantee success tomorrow. Making good decisions today doesn't guarantee that you'll make good decisions tomorrow. And to bring this all full circle, I'm going to end this series in the exact same way that I started or at least by asking the same question that I ask you in the very first sermon of this series. And in that sermon, I ask you this question. I said, if the Lord tarries, will this church still be standing in another 50 years in, in today's world and in today's culture? And, and again, I mentioned this in that first week. And when I say standing, I don't just mean still meeting on Sundays. I mean standing on the truth of God's word. And we can all hope that it will, and we can all assume that it will. We've obviously been around 164 years now, and as crazy as that is, we can just think that that's going to go on forever. But hopes and assumptions aren't enough. And we all need to take ownership and responsibility to ensure that it, in fact, does remain. And it remains strong and fruitful standing on the Word of God. And like it or not, we all have a part in that. We all have a part in what becomes of this church. And you have a part in the direction that this church goes from here. And the fact is, none of us can just get comfortable with where we are. We have to continue to make the right decisions. You need to make the right decisions for your life. You need to make the right decisions for your family. And we need to make the right decisions for this church. And so I think we can learn a lot from these last few verses in this book. 
So let's look at the decisions the children of Israel were making and try to learn from them. So we're going to see, we're going to, it's kind of a couple of different sections. We're going to see three consequences of their bad decisions that they made. And then we're going to see three ways to correct the, the, the correction that we see from Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 23 through 31. And since this is our final sermon in this book, let's pay a tribute back to chapter 8. And if you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. If you're not able to stand, feel no pressure to do that, please. Uh, you can stay seated. That's certainly okay. But for those of you who are, let's do it. In Nehemiah chapter 13, starting at verse 23, we read, In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod, and could not speak in the Jews' language, but according to the language of each people. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters unto their sons, nor take their daughters unto your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause to sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil to transgress against our God in marrying strange wives? And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalat, the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and the Levites, everyone in his business. And for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first fruits. Remember me, oh my God, for good. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we come to you today uh, in need of hearing from you. We need to hear from you this morning, not me. We need to hear from your word. We need your Holy Spirit to teach us what it says for our lives, for our families, and for this church. And so, Lord, we commit this time to you. We want to clear our minds, and we want um, to focus on, on what you have for each and every one of us. And, Lord, we want this entire service to be a sweet savor for you in our, in our sacrifice of praise and our worship of you. And Lord, in this time we have committed and devoted uh, to, to looking to what you have to say to us out of your word. So Lord, I pray that everything that is said today is true to your word. I pray that it is honoring and glorifying to you. And I pray that you use it in our lives. We love you. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now in these verses... Nehemiah is dealing with this third issue of sin in this chapter, right? We've, we've been walking through this chapter, so I've told you this already, but he addressed their lack of support, lack of support to the temple in verses 10 through 14. He addressed their sin regarding the Sabbath and their lack of adherence to it in verses 15 through 22. And in today's passage, he specifically addresses their sin of, of separation or not separating from the Gentiles and, and specifically allowing mixed marriages. And that was something that was obviously specific to Israel in the Old Testament. We, we don't have that racial prohibition in the New Testament today, not in the church age. The focus in the church age is more spiritual now it was, as it was more physical in the Old Testament and, and with Israel. But we do have a similar command. 
um, that, that we know, we've been in church very long, about not being unequally yoked, right? The Bible talks about that. So we shouldn't be intimately involved in any sort of relationship, certainly marital, dating, business, whatever, but any type of relationship with someone's not a believer in Jesus Christ. We get that from 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? So you have an Old Testament prohibition, we have a New Testament prohibition, but here's where these two, one more physically focused, one more spiritually focused, but here's where those two prohibitions come together, in the, because the reasoning behind them is the same. God knew that if Israel would intermarry with those pagan nations that worshipped other gods, that, that those other nations would pull the children of Israel's hearts away from him, and that they would quit serving him. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7. He says it very specifically in verses 3 through 4. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. Speaking of, of those pagan nations. Why? Well, verse 4 tells us. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. And, and that... Same reasoning is the same reason why God tells us to not be unequally yoked. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? You see, the, the risk of defilement is too high. And for both the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and for us today, there are consequences for making decisions that are contrary to God's word. And that's true of all decisions we make that are contrary to the word of God, not just this issue of, of separation. But, but, but let's be real. Let's be honest this morning. Separation from the world in general, not, not only in, in relationships, but separation from the world in general is one of our main issues today. And that, I mean, that's our, that's our problem today. And Paul told Timothy that in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, this know also that in the last days, the days we live in today, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce bakers, breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away or separate because they're worldly. And when Jesus was talking to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, a a church that pictures our church age where we live today in these last days, Revelation 3.17, because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. That's what we say today. That's what we think today. We certainly don't need God. But, but what's God say about that? And knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. You see, we love the pleasures of this world. And we love the, the goods, quote unquote, that it has to offer. And the issue isn't even those pleasures or those goods, unless they're explicitly sinful, but the issue is our hearts. What, what, what is our hearts drawn towards? Do those pleasures and goods pull us away from serving him? Like he said those pagan nations would do for Israel in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 4. 
Do, do, we, do we not serve him because of them? That's really the issue. Because when we decide not to, and we decide to follow the world and not serve the Lord, there are consequences to pay. And those consequences can affect a number of areas in our life. And that's exactly what we see in our text this morning. And here's where it starts. So first of all, our, our decisions affect our family. Our decisions affect our family. Look back at verse 23. In those days also saw I Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. And their children spake half in the speech of Ashdod. and could not speak in the Jews' language, but, language, but according to the language of each people. Now, just by way of reminder, these were the exact same groups that hated what the children of Israel were doing in Jerusalem. What they came back to do and what God was doing through them. In Nehemiah 4, verse 7, you'll, you'll maybe remember this. But it came to pass that when Sanballat, who we see later in this chapter, and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, when they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth. They hated it. They were mad about what God was doing through his people in Jerusalem, and yet the children of Israel were somehow able to look past that. I mean, you know, the ladies must have been pretty good looking. And they're like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, they kind of hate us, and they kind of hate what we're doing, but I mean, I mean yeah, she's kind of cute. And, and as we've talked about in previous weeks, this was in direct contrast to what they had promised back in chapter 10, verses 29, when they were getting it all right and making this covenant promise with the Lord. In Nehemiah chapter 10, verses 29 and 30, they claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. And look at verse 30, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And they'd made this promise just a few years earlier. And listen, he, here is what you need to understand as it relates to what was going on here and as it relates to our life today and our interaction with the world. Their lack of separation wasn't just a bad idea. It was sin against God. It wasn't just a bad idea. It was like, yeah, you really shouldn't do that. No, it was a sin against God. And that's true of us as well. When we decide to allow the things of this world to pull us away from the things of the Lord, that is sin. And we, need, we should call it what it is. It's not just finding a balance in life. It's not just taking some time for me right now. It's sin. And sin always has consequences. Always. The ultimate consequence is death. You see it in James 1. You see it in Romans 6. Sin leads to death. Sin always has consequences. And in our text this morning, what we see is that the consequences affected the children. Because in verse 24, it said that their children could not speak in the Jews' language. That means they didn't know Hebrew. Which means they couldn't read 
or understand the word of God. They couldn't understand the law for themselves. And what a shame that is. But, but listen, that's not much different than today, truth be told. Because the sad truth is that in the American church, we have raised and are raising a generation of kids that know very well the language of the land, but not the language of the Lord. And, and I'm speaking about Christianity in general. I'm not talking about any specific families here per se. And I'm also not talking about what goes on within our church. I think our kids and our youth ministries do a great job of teaching our kids the word of God. And you should thank the Lord for the leaders and the people that we have working with our kids. But we also shouldn't lull ourselves into thinking that we're exempt from this happening in our midst. Remember the question, where is this church going to be 50 years from now? Where is it going to be five years from now? If we don't continue to make right decisions based upon what the word of God has to say. So this is a cautionary note. And listen, you absolutely should know this, but in case you don't, I'm going to remind you. The world is very antagonistic to what we believe and what we teach and what the word of God has to say. They have a different language. And the world will very gladly teach our kids that, that there's nothing wrong with sex outside of marriage. And the world will very gladly and very boldly teach our kids that you can't define gender and that it's fluid. The Bible says something very different about those things. So let me ask you, what language do you want your kids speaking? So listen, if you ask the average 20-year-old sports fan, or, or maybe even 49-year-old sports fan, if you ask that person about the merits of the, Desha the you know, pending Deshaun Watson suspension, or how good Ohio State's going to be this year, we can have an extended conversation. But if you ask that same group what verses they would use to lead someone to the Lord, the conversation seems to shorten sometimes. What, what language do you want your kids speaking? If you ask the average local high school student what the TikTok trends are, you know, most of them are going to be able to teach you the dance moves to every song. But if you ask them to explain the doctrine of eternal security, you may as well be speaking Chinese. What, what language do you want your kids speaking? And when I say that, I, I know that there's pushback, not, not from you guys, from other people. But there's pushback from good church parents to say, you know, explain the doctrine of eternal security or what verses to use to lead someone to the Lord. Wait a second. I mean, like, doctrinal studies are above their head. That's, that's what you do. All right? Doctrinal studies, that's, that's something very different. You're asking too much. Okay. Let me break this down for you for just a second. I, again, I know you don't think like that, but for somebody that you might know that thinks like that. I want to remind you that our kids go to school and in ninth grade geometry learn about sine and cosine and tangent, and you've forgotten what all that is, I know. 
And then they have to go to biology class and recite the life and domain and kingdom and phylum and class and order and family and genus and species for various animals and plants and prokaryotes. You guys know what prokaryotes are, right? And then they go to American history and they have to write a five-page essay on the three primary economic, economic causes of the War of 1812. And the truth is, if they don't get an A on that paper, you're going to be upset because they have to be on the honor roll if they're going to get a scholarship. Listen. When it comes to our kids, when it comes to our teenagers, I don't think we have a level problem. I don't think this book is above their head. I think we have a language problem. Because we've decided that the things of this world are more important than the things of the Lord. So when it comes to the word of God, we shouldn't water it down. Not even for them. We need to lift it up and trust that the Holy Spirit can teach anyone of any age what it is that they need to know for their life. Anyone of any age if they have the Holy Spirit inside them. So do you know what language our younger kids need to speak? What they need to know? I mean, even very little ones. It's Ephesians 6.1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Are you teaching them to speak that? Because here is what you need to understand. It's not just about today. The decisions you make today have ramifications well beyond today. And it's not, it's not only not just about today, it's also not only about you. And what's most convenient and comfortable for you in the moment, it's about the future. And this particular thing, it's about how they view God. Because as parents, you are the picture of God in their life right now. And if you're neglecting Ephesians 6.1, then you are teaching them that obedience is optional. And if obedience is optional with you, then you are teaching them that obedience is optional with God. So listen, instead of receiving the language of the Lord on the issue of biblical authority, one that I think is fairly important, you... Very well-intentioned parent are teaching them the language of the world. This stuff is serious. We need to speak God's language in our home and with our kids. And of course, that means speaking the word of God. There is a difference in God's language and the world's language. 1 John chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says, They are of the world, therefore... Speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. And he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You see, there's a difference. And if you're thinking, well, man, I, I wish I'd heard this 25 years ago or whatever. It's, it's too late now. Uh, to you, I, I'd say it's never too late. Start today. Maybe your kids don't live in your house anymore. Maybe you don't even see them much anymore. Well, you can pray for them. 
You can do right by the Lord when you're around them. You can apologize to them and tell them what you wish you had done. You can still influence your grandkids or the kids of this church. I don't know your situation, but here is what I know. I know that God still works. And doing things his way still works. And listen, this principle of our decisions, not only being about today, but also the future, this is exactly why I can talk about family issues like this and in this series we'll be doing later on this year, and it still relates to everyone, and it still relates to singles. Because it's not just about today. It's not just about this moment. So if you are single, can I tell you that the decisions you're making today have a ramification on your future. So maybe you won't be single for the rest of your life. Make good decisions today to set yourself up to make good decisions later. You know, one of the great tricks of Satan is to get you to focus on our past and then only our present. So we don't think past today. We just look behind us and then we think about what we're dealing with in the moment to the exclusion of the future. Well, God wants you thinking ahead and looking ahead. That's a biblical principle. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Paul says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward. Reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we'll talk more about this later. But it's the biblical philosophy you need in order to make the right decisions about today, being able to look ahead. But not only do our decisions affect our family, but second, our decisions affect our faith, our personal faith. Look, look at what Nehemiah says to the children of Israel in verses 26 and 27. Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations was there no king like him? who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause the sin. This is, this is transliteration. So people that, the, this is the women that were outside the land. That's where we get the term outlandish. So many of our, so many of our words that we use in English come from King James Bible, but uh, this is one of them, outlandish. They were outside the land. Nevertheless, even him did outlandish women cause the sin. Shall we then hearken unto you to do all this great evil, to transgress against our God and marrying strange wives? So Nehemiah uses the example of Solomon. He's, he's telling them what they did wrong. And he uses the example of King Solomon and how his sin affected his life. And how his transgression against God affected his faith. And it's no coincidence that the example of Solomon, because Nehemiah even says, listen, there was no king like him. I mean, the 40-year the, the reign of Solomon was the glory of Christ. It's a picture. It's a picture of Christ sitting on the throne in the millennium. It was a united kingdom. It was peace. It was, it was perfect time. So not even David. David was a man of war. Solomon was, was ruled the kingdom at its height, at its glory. And so he uses Solomon. It's no coincidence that he does. And said so he tells them there was no king like him. He was beloved of God. He was a very special guy, a picture of Christ, like I said, in the millennium um, at certain times in his life. Listen to what the Bible says about him in 1 Kings 3.12. Behold, I have done according to thy words. This is, this is the Lord speaking to Solomon. And 
he asked him what he wanted and instead of wealth and, or anything else, he asked for wisdom. And he said, lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. He truly was a very special guy. He was the wisest man to ever live. And he had an understanding heart, and that is a key phrase for Solomon, because we know that his decisions turned his heart away from the Lord, just like God had told him everyone it would in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 4. And when his heart was turned, his faith was affected. We see it in 1 Kings chapter 11. Look at verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go in unto them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn your heart after other, turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. Listen, the Old Testament was a different time. So I don't, I don't get it. But, I mean, but anyway, I just, we'll just keep moving. Um, but look at what the wives did. His wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord, his God, as was the heart of David, his father. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the, of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And by the way, these, these are evil. This is evil stuff. Um, with Milcom and, and Molech that we'll get to. Um, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech the abomination of the children of Ammon, and likewise did he for all his strange wives, which were incense and sacrificed unto their gods. So, I mean, so, so his heart was turned, just like God said it would, right? I mean, God, it's kind of like God knows what he's talking about. And, and what you need to get from all this is, is just that. You see it in verse 4, his strange wife turned away his heart unto other gods, and his heart was not perfect for the Lord. And you see the result in verse 6, he went not fully after the Lord. Because his faith was affected. And it was affected so much that he quit following the Lord and said, instead started sacrificing unto their gods. Listen, isn't it crazy how quick a smart man can turn really dumb? I've seen it, very, I've seen it a number of times. It just takes one or two wrong decisions. And you're all of a sudden, you're on a road you never thought you'd be on. But here's the point. If it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to anyone. It can certainly happen to any of us. This is the wisest man that ever lived. Picture of Christ. Now, also, picture of the Antichrist, by the way, at other times in his life. The only person in the Bible who's a picture of both. But he's, he's, he's messed it up. And so if it can happen to Solomon, it can happen to us. And, and this is just an interesting point for me. Solomon is a man that is notoriously missing from Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is, is the chapter that recounts the faith of those Old Testament heroes. And Solomon's nowhere to be found. Hebrews chapter 11. David is, Samuel is, the prophets are, but not Solomon. Listen, even Samson is there. All of Noah, Moses, all of them. Even Samson, but not Solomon. And that alone 
doesn't mean that his faith was affected, but we obviously know that it is. Our faith is tied to our heart in Scripture. That's what we see in the Bible. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. In the context of being made available, of the gospel being made available to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 15, verses 8 and 9 say, And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And then Hebrews 10:22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, our, our hearts and our faith are connected. And when our hearts are pulled away from the Lord, our faith is affected. You can't avoid it. And like I've said over and over these past few weeks, the world is calling. And it's pulling at your heart. It's pulling at those desires. And if you think that you can answer that call and decide to follow the world and still keep your faith strong at the same time. You know, I can kind of play in both worlds. And I can answer the call and I can be involved in the world and the pleasures of, of the world and, and, and all that it has to offer. And I can, I can give myself to that, but still maintain a good relationship with the Lord. Listen, it just doesn't work that way. And when our faith wavers, there are ramifications. And that brings us to our third consequence. And that is our decisions affect our future. And we've already talked about this some with respect to our future in this life. But this life isn't all that there is. And in verse 29, Nehemiah asked God to remember them for their sinful deeds. And it points to something more. Nehemiah 13, 29, remember them, oh my God, because they had defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And, and just so you don't think that this is only an Old Testament concept, you can see Paul says a very similar thing in 2 Timothy 4.14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. And the truth is, God will remember, and he will reward accordingly. And he remembers everything. He will remember them. He will remember us. And we will get our due reward because there's coming a day that we will stand before him and give an account for the life we lived at the judgment seat of Christ. And it says there that even at that time, we can suffer loss. Now, it's not loss of our salvation. If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are eternally secure. And, and you will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ if you never serve him, but, but you'll still be saved. But much of the life to come, and, and at least our fate in it, certainly as it relates to the, the coming reign of Christ in the thousand-year millennium, is our fate in that is dependent upon what we do, how we live in this life today. So we are going to live forever, but our role and what's to come in the millennium is largely, largely determined by the decisions we make today. And what James calls this vapor of a life. And what Paul calls a, a moment in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So please understand the, the importance of this vapor, this 
moment of a life in the grand scheme of eternity, it can't be overemphasized because it affects into eternity. Our decisions today absolutely have an effect on our future. And back to Nehemiah, look at what, what it was that their decisions caused. It defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood, right? Remember them, oh my God, because they defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. And Malachi tells us exactly what this means. I told, I told you a couple weeks ago that, that the book of Malachi lines up chronologically with Nehemiah, right? I mean, they're obviously in different parts. Nehemiah actually in the first half, towards the end of the first half of the Old Testament. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Our, our Bible's not in chronological order. Um, it's in dispensational order. But, but Nehemiah and Malachi do line up chronologically. So Malachi was dealing with the same things Nehemiah was dealing with here in, in chapter 13. And listen to what the Lord said through Malachi in chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 of his book. It says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, with the Levites, saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. And, and, and now he's getting to define this covenant of the, uh, that was specific to the Levites that dealt with the priesthood. It says, The law of truth was in his mouth, and in iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's what the priests were. But ye, again, Malachi talking to the, the Levites and the priests in, in Nehemiah's day. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, the covenant of the priesthood, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, this covenant of the priesthood, here's what it involved. It involved the faithful giving of God's word. It's that simple. It involved other things as well, but that was the key component. The faithful giving of, of God's word, of the law. Verse 6 said the law of truth was to be in their mouth. Right? And, 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 the, and, and the peace and equity to turn many away from iniquity. Verse 7 said the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And in verse 8, the covenant was defiled or corrupted when they departed out of the way and caused many to stumble at the law. And the people stumbled because the priests weren't doing their job. They weren't giving out God's word to the people. Now listen, we've talked about this before, but there's no longer a temple in the New Testament because we are the temple. There are no longer priests because we are the priests. You can see that in 1 Peter 2.5. And our job as priests is to point people to the high priest, to Christ. We're to invest the word of God into the souls of men. And the world and all of our enemies do not want us doing that. So they keep calling. And they keep offering distractions. Listen, even offering good things, just not the main thing. And when we decide to take the world up on, on, on all that it is offering, then our future is bound to suffer. Because that means we're not investing our time, talents, and treasure into the things of the Lord. We're not investing the word of God into the souls of men and women. 
Remember, I told you last time, this entire life is just an investment project. And Jesus told us how to do it. Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through or steal. So we need to make the right decisions. And we're faced with them every single day. And our family depends upon it. The state of our faith depends upon it. And our future, even beyond this life, depends upon it. And there are consequences for making bad decisions in your life. But praise the Lord, God doesn't leave us there. He never does. There's always a way out. There's always a way of escape. And there's, all, there's always correction. There's a way to correct any mistakes you've made. And we see that from the example of Nehemiah in the passage. Now, there still may be consequences to pay. Listen, sometimes you can't avoid the consequences of bad decisions. But you can correct it with the Lord. And here's how. Here are the steps that we see from the example of Nehemiah in this passage. And here's where it starts. The first step of correction is to contend. And this is just a fight back. This is exactly what Nehemiah did in verse 25, right? Fight against that flesh that wants, so we have those enemies. We have the devil and we have the world. And, and while both of them, the devil uses the world and the world is just drawing our flesh, right? And our flesh is what makes us decide to sin. It's not the devil's fault, right? So the devil may be attacking you, but it's not the devil's fault. If you sin, you made a willful decision to do that in your flesh, Right, so our fight is with, I've talked about this before, so many times we mess up the Christian life because we're fighting the wrong enemy. We're to stand against the devil. We fight our flesh. We contend. We fight back when the world is calling and the flesh is desiring. We fight. Look at verse 25. And I contended with them and cursed them and smote certain of them and plucked off their hair and made them swear by God, saying, Ye should not give our daughters unto our sons, nor take your daughters unto your sons or of yourselves. And this is a great verse, one of my favorite verses in the book of Nehemiah. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, when it comes to dealing with people, we don't have the same freedom in the New Testament as Nehemiah did in the Old Testament. Sometimes I wish we did. But Nehemiah, their, their recent governor, came back acting as a judge. And under the law, corporal punishment, even for adults, was a legitimate form of punishment. Deuteronomy 25.2 says, and it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. Okay? And, and it's interesting because there are many commentators that you'll read and they'll talk about how, you know, Nehemiah meant well, but he went about, he went about this wrong. And you could see why, you know, he was so mad, but he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have done what he did. I, I think that's just because they don't understand the Bible. So they'll, they'll even talk about how it's wrong for cursing. And we should, you know, we, we're, never, we're never to curse. And we shouldn't cuss. That's not what he's talking about when it, he says cursing them. They, they don't understand the Bible. Nehemiah wasn't cussing them out. What he was doing, all he was doing was what they called upon themselves in chapter 10. Remember what we read in verse 29 earlier? If not, let me remind you. They, when they promised to, to do things by the word of God, it says they claimed to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, their servant of God, to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and the judgments and statutes. 
So you see, they, what they did in chapter 10 was they agreed to be cursed by God if they didn't keep their promise. And they didn't keep their promise. <laughs> so Nehemiah, through his words, was bringing a curse upon them and reminding them of that promise. And even the pulling out of hair, this was common practice during a time of anguish over sin. Ezra did it to himself when Israel did the exact same thing in his day. Listen, Old Testament was a different time. They put on sackcloth and ashes. We talked about that. But Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 says, Now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken of their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, and the hand of the princes and the rulers hath been chief in this trespass. Now look at Ezra's response. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished or astonished. So Ezra did it to himself. It was just a, a sign of repentance. Again, very physical, Old Testament, and they would show physical signs of repentance. I like Nehemiah's version better. He thought the offenders should suffer, and I do too. But, but here's the point of all this. So whether you agree with all that or not doesn't matter. Here's the point of all this. Nehemiah took drastic action to bring about purity in their lives. Nehemiah took drastic action. And sometimes we need to do the same thing. Sometimes we need to contend with ourselves and fight our flesh. And sometimes it takes drastic actions to get things right. And maybe you don't want to pull your own hair out. I certainly don't. I wouldn't recommend it. But maybe you need to chase people away and out of your life like Nehemiah did in verse 28. And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, we talked about him earlier in the chapter, how he made this uh, room in the, in the temple for Tobiah. Well, well, here's why. It was because of this connection that he had to Samballot, who was Tobiah's best buddy. Says the, the son, so the, and one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Samballot the Horonite. There, again, the, the arch enemy. Of Israel. What, so what's he do? Therefore I chased him from me. And really he was just taking Solomon's advice from Proverbs 20, 26. It says, and a wise king scattereth the wicked, bringeth the wheel over them. So maybe it's that. Maybe that's an action you need to take in your life or some other drastic action to correct the bad decisions that lead to sin in your life. Again, if, if you know, I'm, I'm not saying, listen, we're to be around we're to be in the world, but not of the world. So we don't separate ourselves from the world. We're to witness to the world, but you can't allow that to be an influence over you. So if there are people in your life that are causing you to just constantly sin, and, and, and you're, you know, and you, and it's easy, like, like if you happen to be married to them, well, that's a little bit more difficult, but if it's easy to separate them, well, then separate. If, if, the, if you can't be around them without sinning, well, well, don't be around them. Or maybe there's some other drastic action that you need to take to correct the bad decisions that led to the sin in your life. Contend, fight to get right, to stay right. So, so let me just ask it to you this way. If you're in that, if you're dealing with that type of situation now, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want a proper relationship with God? 
How bad do you want to lead your family so that they speak God's language instead of the world's language? How important to you is it? Because if it's important enough, you'll contend. And you'll fight for your kids and your physical family and your church family. Nehemiah 4.14, I was really joking when I said that this verse in Nehemiah 13.25 is my favorite verse in the book. Nehemiah 4.14 is my favorite verse in the book. It's not in your notes. We don't even have it here, but I'm going to read it for you. And it says, and I, you've, I, we've talked about it numerous times. It says, and I looked and rose up and said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your houses. That's what we need to do. And then next, after you contend, you have to go back to the book and self-counsel. Because what did Nehemiah do to show how they were wrong? He reminded them of Solomon. He used a biblical example. So he took them back to the Bible. And in today's world, there are so many Christians that want to go to the world to get help when they make bad decisions. Now, that's a mistake. The world is your enemy. A few weeks ago, I showed you Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 3, on what God has to say about those who go to the world for help. But let me show you again. Remember, Egypt is a, in the Bible is a picture of the world. And in, in Isaiah 30, verse 1, he says, Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Right? You've made a bad decision already. Don't add sin to sin. How do they do that? They walk to go down into Egypt. And not ask at my mouth to strengthen themselves with the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the shadow of Egypt. They're trusting in Egypt to help them get out of Egypt. Therefore shall the strength of Pharaoh be your shame and the trust of the shadow of Egypt your confusion. And I told you that last time. That's why there's so much confusion out there. People don't trust biblical counseling anymore. They need something more. And they, they don't believe in the sufficiency of the Bible. It doesn't cover everything that we're dealing with today. So can I ask you where you're getting your counseling from? And you need to know that if it's not from this book, it's the wrong place. Go back to the book. All your answers are right there. And if you can't get them for yourself, ask someone who knows more than you that can help you. That's the right answer, I promise you. But once you go back to the book and get the right answers, you have to put them in place and then get back to proper worship. So the third step to correction is cleanse. Verse 30, thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wars of the priests of the Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at times appointed and for the first, first fruits, remember me, O God, for good. They had to be cleansed so that they could get back to worship. The priests had abandoned their jobs in the temple. And, and, a, and that was partly the people's fault because they weren't bringing in the offering. So many of the priests had to go back into the fields. We looked at that earlier in, the week, earlier in, the, in this chapter. So it's just, it, there's fault across the board. And the people had abandoned their jobs with the tithes and offerings. They had to set up the wood offering again. That's where it had to start. The wood offering was literally the wood they used for the animal sacrifices. People were appointed, were assigned to bring wood as an offering to the Lord for that purpose. And they weren't doing that. So the sacrifices weren't occurring. And so and because of all of it, worship wasn't happening. And listen, our worship, our personal worship, our sacrifice submission to the Lord is always going to suffer when we are in sin when we've made bad decisions in our life. And the only answer is to repent, 
Cleanse yourself like Paul says too in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, having therefore these promises, the promises found specifically in chapter 6, but we have a bunch of them in this book. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So you cleanse yourself, and then what do you do? You refuel your relationship with God. You see, if you quit bringing the wood, there's no fire. And there are many believers today whose fire has gone out. And the Holy Spirit has been quenched in their life. And the only way to get out of that funk is the exact same way you got into it. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Only this time you make the right ones. Even if you don't feel like it, you do it anyway. What's feelings got to do with it anyway? Show up here when the doors are open. Spend time with the Lord every day. Commit to our path of growth. Whatever decisions you need to make to get that fire back, why don't you do it this morning? Don't waste another day. Bring your wood to the altar and relight the fire.